Hello and welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I'm your host, Valerie Complex, and we are back with another great episode and another fantastic guest. Today we are talking to Celine Song about her debut feature film from A24 titled Past Lives. Now Song is, you know, a director and an established playwright, but this story is loosely based and inspired by her own life experience. The film follows Nora and Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends who are rest apart after Nora's family immigrates to Canada from South Korea. Two decades later, they are reunited in New York for one faithful week as they confront notions of destiny, love, and the choices that we make in life. Now, during this discussion, we chat about Korean culture and the concept of fate, which the film also deals with as well. We also talk about what it means to express intentional love and to be intentional with that love. Past Lives right now is out in theaters and I recommend everyone see it. It is a great film and it is in my top 10 of the year. Yes, I am confident in saying that because the film is just that good. Now, if you like what you hear on the podcast today, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to Scene to Scene on Apple and Spotify. And with that, I'm going to leave you with a short clip from the film, and then we're going to get into the discussion. There's a word in Korean, inyon. It means providence or fate. Do you believe in that? That's just something Koreans say to seduce someone. Thank you. Thank you so much, Celine Song, for coming onto the Scene to Scene podcast. Here we are big, big fans of your work and your film Past Lives is, you know, I'm confident in, in saying that it's a part of my top 10 for the year. Um, I'm really, I'm really a hard, hard judge when it comes to films. And so um, yours is definitely one of my favorites. And so how how does all of this feel, all of this energy, uh, you know, ar- surrounding your work and people acknowledging, you know, all the years of hard work that you've put in? Well, I think that it is just so rewarding and like really, uh, you know, nothing but positive. Like, it's just mm-hmm. awesome. And I'm just elated and so happy and, you know, come up with every word possible for uh, like joyous or something mm-hmm. like that. But I think it's like, also, I always think about how rewarding it is to also have it be seen in cities I've never been to. Mm-hmm. So I've been uh, going to some uh, cities I've never been to to uh, show the movie in like their you know local uh, festival or something like that. And I think whenever I was doing that, um, you know, like the the trip and the being in a new city is always a little bit uh, freakish, but then you go into the theater and then you just like have a completely different energy mm-hmm. to, uh, ba- uh, based in the city and they all love the movie. So I think it's like that part of it is so special to feeling that it is such a uh, universal thing, you know, mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, So I want to get into going right into the film and I've been to a couple of Q and A's and for some reason I was never able to get this question answered. So I'm so glad to have you here. I wanted to know what, why did you start the movie that way mm-hmm. with this conversation happening 
to two people, you know, between two people we can't see. And we have these three people who we know nothing about. And these sort of narrators, you know, sort of speculating what they think is going on. Um, and I just found the whole thing really interesting. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I think that it uh, it is very much about the feeling of of observed that mm. uh, I think really triggered the uh, scene because mm. I think that I was sitting there in this bar in East Village. Um, it's a bar called Please Don't Tell, just because I know you're a New Yorker, I want mm -hmm. to say. Yeah. And I was sitting there with my child sweetheart and my American husband. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was translating between these two guys. And I remember looking around and making eye contact with somebody who was looking at me. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that, uh, you know, I, I think for myself, being observed is uh, always a strange feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt myself being observed, but then the part of uh, being observed, uh, you can react to that in a couple different ways. One mm -hmm. way is you can be like, stop observing me mm -hmm. and, you know, hide your face and hide and maybe leave mm -hmm. and sort of try to defy observation. Or I thought that there must be something uh, also powerful in saying like, okay, so you want to observe me. You want to observe me and my life and these two guys who are sitting next to me. What if um, uh, I really let you observe? You know, mm. <laughs> what if you're not? It's not just going to be a superficial observation. What if it was going to be a really deep one? What mm. if you're going to really get under my skin and get in, get inside of my life and go through mm. time with me, mm -hmm. so that um, you are not just uh, looking at the the like the faces, right, mm -hmm. the skin, all that, but you're actually um, getting to observe me from within you know mm -hmm. um and I think that that really was at the heart of why I thought that that is the right way to begin the story so mm -hmm. that the audience feels uh implicated like they're a part of the story right off the bat mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I think that that's a that's an amazing way to look at it and with with past lives and us you know and sort of inserting parts of yourself in it and personal parts of yourself what was that like? Like, how did you, you know, because the, the information and what's happening is so close to the chest. How did you sort of maintain that balance? Um, you know, Nora is not Celine, you know, but um, it's a part of your story, mm -hmm. so to speak. Well, I think the balancing of it is sort of, it just happens uh, incrementally uh, every day that you work on the movie. Because uh, the, you know, there is a subjective experience of what this movie is um, started from. And then there's an objectification of the subjective experience mm -hmm. in the writing of the script. Mm -hmm. So I think there is, uh, that's the sort of the first step. And every page you write, you're turning something that is uh, ineffable, which is uh, ex your experience in life. Mm -hmm. into something that is tangible which is like words on the page right and then so there is a whole process of objectifying that um over the course of writing the thing and then of course you cast it right right I'm not trying to find somebody who's going to be like me because I don't believe that there is somebody who is like me right right because that's part of life is every person is uh themselves everybody's unique so it's really hard to imagine myself thinking like you know like 
let's find somebody who is just like me. Unless, right. Um, you know, I myself am playing it. Right. So, uh, and then, and then I think that in casting all the roles and then working with them every day, they're part of it where, again, there is a further objectification of it because you're now committing to image um, the experiences uh, that started out subjective. Right. So mm. I think that it really over time became like very simply a movie that I was making. Right. Mm-hmm. Like an like an object that I was creating. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, I think that I think what I really love in this process, you were asking me earlier about what it's been like, all those response and everything. Mm. I think what I really like is when uh, the audience uh, make it subjective again. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> this thing that started out in a subjective way and then went through a couple big processes of being uh, becoming an ob- object mm-hmm. and objectifying um, and hardening into something tangible and then in the audience it suddenly becomes ineffable again right it becomes a subjective experience for them again and I've been finding that so uh, rewarding and magical because um, through the portal of this object which is this movie and these characters you were made uh, the the subjective experience that I'm feeling was communicated, right? Subjectively, mm-hmm. like I'm just telling them a story, right? And um, that's a really insightful answer. And when you talk about like casting, um, did you have actors in mind, or was there a audition process? And because I know, like you know, Greta Lee is known for a lot of comedic roles and she's it's not that she's like extremely serious in this but she's playing you know something that's a role that she hasn't sort of stepped into quite yet Mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit about that yeah I think that it is uh I didn't think so I didn't think about actors before I started because I didn't that's just not a part of my process. Like right, I just right. usually don't think about casting. I just create the characters and then I worry about casting. And maybe I need to change that. But I, I <laughs> so far, so far it's served me fine of just mm-hmm. to be like, okay, I need to create a character on its own and then see who is the right person for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Greta auditioned for me. She auditioned for me and then she came in and she did a callback with me. Same thing with uh, Teo. Who plays Hesong. So it's like, you know, part of it is just like you're uh, just looking for the right person to take on the role. Mm. So part of the reason why Greta, I felt like uh, I needed to meet and I needed to figure out if she is Nora is because, of course, I think that um, her work in, especially in the comedy, c- comedic roles, mm. is, uh, is uh, without question. Right, mm-hmm. you don't really think about it in terms of that, um, because she is so gifted at that. But I think that the thing that I um, assumed and I could guess at, but I didn't know for sure, is her prowess as a dramatic actress. Mm-hmm. So I think that do think that that was something that I was trying to suss out when I was meeting her. And I think that what's amazing is is that part of what makes her so funny is this like deep sense of humor, which I think mm-hmm. is a really important part of dramatic acting. I don't think dramatic acting, right, can happen without right. a sense of humor from the performers. And mm-hmm. I think to me, how funny she is actually was only a beautiful uh, asset to the, and the, only the only the best part of her dramatic acting. And mm-hmm. she's just a great actress who's a, 
who has her uh, background in theater like myself and who has a depth of uh, emotions that she can pull from, especially for a story like this. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the, one of the, among one of the many things I liked is um, the cultural re- relevance and um, weaving in sort of the, the idea of Inya, and I hope I'm pronouncing that properly and wow. the idea of of past lives um when sort of creating this story how did the sort of idea of exploring past lives come up i guess mm-hmm. that's my question yeah well i think the the concept of union itself is a pretty commonplace concept in uh in in korea and mm-hmm. i think in actually most like asian countries Right, because it's like all run by Eastern philosophy, because it's an mm-hmm. Eastern philosophy concept. There's a word for it in China, for example, mm-hmm. or India. So, um, and also because in, in Eastern countries in general, I find that um the the word gets used pretty commonplace. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just something you say even at work, or you just say, and I do mean it when the and you you either have seen it in the trailer in the movie, it's like, you know, it's just something Koreans say to seduce someone. I think that really is a part of it. You go mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, how did we end up here? Right. <laughs> you know, oh, my God, we almost mixed up our coffees. We must mm-hmm. be. Would you like my, would you, can I have your number? Mm-hmm. So I think it's like, it is a kind of a funny part of uh, it being a little bit more melted into the everyday culture of it, everyday language of it. But I felt like it was really important to introduce the concept to this movie because um, the character of Hesung and Nora, they themselves are not um, exes. It's really hard mm. to say that they're exes because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they're not really exes because they're, um, they only held hands one time as right. children, you know, like that's not really an ex, right? Mm. And they're not really friends because they're a little bit estranged. Like, it's really interesting, like, um, what, who they are to each other, which I think is also the mystery of the movie, mm. right? Um, and then it is also really hard to uh, figure out how to define what the relationship is to each other, uh, given that it's uh, it changes over 24 years, as mm-hmm. it does for all of us, which I think is relatable to us, because right. we all uh, have connections that mm-hmm. sort of endure through decades that change, but is the same, right? <laughs> so I think it's right. like that really is what this connection is more than anything so I think that's what I really wanted to um uh capture so I felt like this word needed to be introduced because it was an answer to the uh question of the movie which is that like who even are they to each other like what what do you call a relationship like this and I knew that in Korean there was the right word for it which is inyeon mm. so I think that I really wanted um to interest it, introduce it uh, to the audiences of this movie, you know, it's funny because <clears throat> my friend and I, um, when I had saw the movie again, we, you know, the the film brought up a lot of different conversations, and one of them is we wondered if the romance aspect of it was intentional or not. Um, you know, is this a story, you know, about two people, um, in a romantic relationship? or friendship or whatever, or is this, you know, a story um, that 
has romantic elements. I don't know if the question makes sense, but did you go into it thinking about that? Because it, it, we, it definitely shows that there's different types of romance and different types of relations between people. So, yeah. Well, I think that this is such a, I, I am, you're the first person to ask me about this. And mm. I think that really, um, and I'm so happy that you asked me about it because mm. I feel like the way that we talk about romance is so uh, sometimes a little bit warped about right. uh, what, how it relates to love, mm. for example. Because I feel like when I was approaching it, like I knew that it was a romance and it was a romantic story. Mm of a romantic story right? mm -hmm. or then it being like uh it has to be a romantic connection between these people the whole time mm -hmm. this is not the romantic connection with all of them the whole time right. sometimes a friendship is a much uh stronger element or sometimes it is just this feeling it's this feeling that mm -hmm. they're you're they're tied to each other over space and time mm -hmm. that is actually more like that so sometimes i talk about the romance of it as like a you know the storm and drang kind right. of romance <laughs> like, right 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 right. like the way that like time and aging and nature and mortality and those things kind of playing a really big part in uh human life it's mm -hmm. so connected to something like that but of course i think that there is a very simple romantic story in arthur and nora for example because mm -hmm. they just like dated got together they sleep together and mm -hmm. they're married which mm -hmm. is a very classic traditional romantic story and of course, there is an element of it where Hesung and Nora, when they're Skyping, I think romance is more straightforward there. It's not mm -hmm. complicated. It's very like, those are flirting scenes. Mm. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> it's a long distance flirting scenes. So I think that, but I think just that's true about our lives as well. We don't always just live in a romantic comedy, right? Right. <laughs> and also it's not a romantic comedy with everybody in your life all the mm -hmm. time right mm -hmm. it's like there and even with somebody that you're in a long relationship with there are some parts of it that is a romantic comedy there are some parts of it that is a thriller you know right, like, right, right. it's like it i think that it's it's not uh, it's supposed to um human life doesn't have a have a genre in that right 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 i think that to me that really was the impulse for it i wasn't going to uh a force of romance into something that didn't uh, exist Mm -hmm. But the thing that I know is true about all three of them is that there's a lot of love there. Mm -hmm. And I think love is different than dating because I think dating right. is about, um, like I was saying, you know, like you flirt, you know, you get together, you know, you sleep right. together. So there's a bit of like dating is a, more about the marketplace uh, mm -hmm. or, or getting a guy or losing a guy or something mm -hmm. like that, right? Uh, in comparison, I think that uh, love is about uh, sort of offering something of themselves that uh, you don't expect to have back. So right. for example, I know that like one of the things that like Arthur is able to do to prove his love to Nora is that he is going to, you know, all the jealousy, anxiety, everything that he feels, he's going to set it aside so that Nora can have a chance to get to know and say goodbye to his her child's sweetheart mm -hmm. he's going to overcome his own insecurity for that mm -hmm. you know so and then Hezan, for example his the way that he loves her is that he flew 14 hours to you know say goodbye to her 
mm-hmm. and took a, provided a little girl. So, and I think that these are such romantic things that I think there's a ton of, of romance in the movie and it's a romantic movie. Mm-hmm. But is it the whole time about flirting? No. <laughs> right. You have a way of like leading up to my next question, which is really like amazing. Oh. So, um, which is great because I was going to ask about the character of Arthur and how incredibly self-aware he is which is something you don't really see in romantic comedies or you know of a ton of male characters at least um you know at the beginning and I was just wondering how you went about creating that self-awareness especially in the scene in in the bedroom where he's talking about being this like big bad white man who's taking you know, this woman away from the love of her life. And I really just thought that that was something that was interesting to mention. I don't know. I, I'm just um, well, amazed about that whole part. <laughs> I mean, I think that it's, uh, what was important to me is that uh, Nora and Arthur are in a good marriage. Mm-hmm. Because I think that at the end there, um, it was important for the audience to um just as Hesem does, because Hesem says that, you know, like, I didn't think that liking your husband would hurt this much, right? That's mm-hmm. what really starts the conversation. Hesem likes him, right? Mm-hmm. And Hesem likes their relationship. And I think part of it is, is that, uh, that that something like that has to be earned, right? And I think that I wanted to show um, what a good marriage could be, especially mm-hmm. a good marriage where there is this mystery between these two people. And I think that this mystery... Of course, when the uh, the mystery is a language, it's mm-hmm. so dramatic. It can be you can sort of see it so tangibly as a mystery. But I think that we all have that part of us. I think even if you come from the exact same background, there's still going to be a part of each other that's a mystery because we are at the end of the day other, right, mm-hmm. to each other. And actually, more intimate, I think you are more you know about the other, right, right, like. Right. I feel like, you know, I think more I get to know, more deeply I know my husband, more I know that he and I, that there is a part of each other that we will never, that is a mystery forever, Mm -hmm. right? So I think similarly, that's sort of uh, what that scene is about. And when it came to Arthur, it's like, it was important to me that he was intelligent Mm -hmm. and that he is emotionally intelligent and he is a writer. So of course he's going to understand this as a story. Mm-hmm. right so it just makes sense for him to see the situation and he's not going to see it as a i'm sure if it was uh in finance maybe he'll see it as an i don't know asset acquisition or something right or tra- <laughs> like, something that's transactional right yeah or something but because he's a writer i think the and that's part of the uh, relationship that nora is in with him it's a as a writer and i think that he sort of sees this as a story and he's like well in a story like this who's the villain right mm-hmm. So I think that that kind of awareness felt like a really natural part of the character. I think that um, that's a way that we can really get to know him, right? And get to love him too, because obviously Nora loves him too. Right. So, you know, both Nora and Hesung love Arthur. You know? Right, 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 right. So I think that I needed to, that to feel like uh, it was rooted in something. And I think what it's rooted in is that um, Arthur is somebody who can, who has the strength and has the masculinity. And that's what mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's what I, how I would define masculinity, who has the masculinity to, uh, you know, to have the strength to basically put your own insecurities aside so that um, the love of his life 
can uh, connect with somebody from her past without mm-hmm. him uh, making it a very big problem. Right? right. Yeah. And so much so that he says in the scene with uh, uh, song like that he, uh, you know, he's glad that he came here. Right. He just wants uh, song to be also be okay. Another thing that really caught me was the cinematography. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right by Sabir. Oh, Shabier Kirchner. Shabier Kirchner. Okay. Yeah. The cinematography and the direction makes New York seem so much more beautiful than it actually is, in my opinion. <laughs> I was born and raised here. I was born in the Bronx. Yeah. Grew up in 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 Harlem. And look, I, I, there are parts of New York that are beautiful, but I think overall, this is a very ugly and gray city. But, <laughs> you know, the the scenes in Brooklyn and on the Circle Line, like the color is really brought out, like, and you see the skyline, like, is that also something that was sort of intentional, making the backdrop of New York um, part of this romantic experience? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that that is so uh, uh, fundamental to a story. To me, if we're talking about what's what's romantic about the movie, mm-hmm. one of the things that very makes this a romantic film is the way that it is uh, romantic about New York, and it's also romantic about Seoul in the parts mm-hmm. that it is about Seoul. And of course, Shabby and I, I think that because we also are we are transplants, but um, we uh, live. A big chunk of our adulthood in New York, and I think mm-hmm. something that we talk about all the time is that, um, yes, of course, it is an ugly city, you know. It's an, you know, but I think that there are moments in it where you just fall in love with it, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's not always going to be the big, um, spectacular location. Sometimes it's right. just a corner mm-hmm. where you had a serious conversation with a friend, right? Right. And I think that it's really, we were talking so much about the eye of the beholder of it, right? Which is the, you know, like something that is really true is, uh, and in theater, we talk about this a lot where, um, you know, the audience sees what the actor sees. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to say that, like, I am in love, uh, you know, like, uh, you don't have to cast the most beautiful person on earth in theater to convey that that's, you know, Helen of Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part of that is because in the in the perspective of everybody who is beholding her, then if they treat her like she's a Helen of Troy and they see her in their eyes as Helen of Troy, then the entire audience is going to see them as Helen of Troy. Mm-hmm. And that can really expand the imagination of um, your audience. So, because then you can make many different kinds of people beautiful and not just the one Instagram model type of person that's right. beautiful, right? And that's what to me is really magical about theater. And I think something that I really was thinking about is, is um, the if you are shooting New York with love in your eyes, I think that it can be uh, stunning, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I think that if you're shooting New York with uh, disdain, I think it will it can look very It'll, ugly. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are movies that I think that where it should be, seen with disdain because that's what the story of the movie is but this movie right is about ordinary people finding something extraordinary in another person who is also ordinary so it felt like it spoke to the language of the movie for new york to be 
uh, shot and also not just the pretty parts of New York, but even just like the street of New York, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, the, you know, the garbage heaps. Like I think right. I, there was there's this one scene where there are just garbage in the streets and I was like, um, and, and I think our location managers were like trying to figure out how to clear the garbage uh, from the street and I was like no what do you mean <laughs> I'm like that's a, that's a hallmark of New York bags that's of New York garbage, right? I, have, I have never walked down street, a street of New York uh, when there wasn't garbage so <laughs> it, it would be weird like it'd be weird if they didn't leave garbage there anyway right. so, so it's something like that where you're like well it's not that you're trying to erase the uh, part of New York that is uh, conventionally ugly but you're you're keeping it there, but you're just looking at it with love. And I think right. that really was something that Xavier and I were trying to um, shift the perspective on so that we can expand the imagination of the audience mm-hmm. for what beauty is. Mm-hmm. You know? And and it really lends the authenticity to, you know, there is, you know, no city that is quite like New York. And mm-hmm. I think native New Yorkers notice when things are sort of in ingenuous or disingenuous or you know not authentic in that way my my last question for you is the ending mm-hmm. and now there's been a lot of debate on when Nora starts to cry what exactly she's releasing mm-hmm. in this moment and the vulnerability that she's showing her husband Talk to me as if you were an audience member, not a director and writer, but if you were an audience member mm-hmm. and you saw that scene, mm-hmm. how would you interpret it? Um, I think that it can be uh, however you have been sort of following along with her journey. But I think mm-hmm. hopefully the thing that you're noticing is the way that um, she is crying into his arms. And mm-hmm. throughout the movie, we're talk- he's been talking about in that conversation in the kitchen with Arthur, mm-hmm. she's like, you know, uh, she, he's like, you're a crybaby? And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah. And before that, she even, uh, in the Skype conversations, she asks, uh, she, you know, she's asked by Hesong, like, if she still is a crybaby. And she says she's not, right? You can't cry in New York City. Right. So, <laughs> And then we are really getting to watch her cry in New York City. So right. I think that's something that we also wanted was for Nora to cry like a, like a kid, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't want her to cry like a grown woman mm-hmm. weeping. Like I wanted her to look cry like a, like a like a like a little twelve year old, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that that to me is those are the things that that I hope uh, point to uh, what the tears are about, which is that she's grieving a uh, part of herself that is now gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I do. I have found that um, people of diff- varying ages understand it very differently mm. right because i think that when you're it's the younger people i think think of it as like a the end of a uh like an end of a, a possibility mm-hmm. right but and i think that the older old the sort of people who have uh, maybe a little bit older who have actually gone through parts of their life i think they really do see it so much as more of a letting go mm-hmm. letting go of the letting go of the possibility mm-hmm. right it's, they don't really it's not it's less about the loss it's already been lost yeah you yeah, know? yeah yeah that little girl is already gone mm-hmm. right that little girl who used to be a crybaby she's already gone and this mm-hmm. is just a part of the ritual of grieving that little girl right. and what an amazing gift that Hesong gave Nora right she he flew 13 hours to be here so that 
Nora can remember that that little girl is real. Mm-hmm. That she deserves to be mourned, even though she hasn't had a chance to until right. the moment um, on her way walk home. Thank you so much for for coming on the Scene to Scene podcast. This was a really great conversation, and I learned quite a bit. I've lived I lived in Korea twice. Yeah. Um, oh my, my god. Yeah. Um, I worked um, at the YMCA um, uh, back in two thousand and one, actually, oh. um, and then I was back there in two thousand and eight. Um, mm-hmm working and working again so mm-hmm. it was a when you talk about like different cities and different interpretations and how they how they are like you know Seoul has a beautiful parts and you know parts that aren't so great as well but mm-hmm. I found so I grew to love it despite of all of that yeah so and I think that's what this film is about and ah, I love this film so oh. <laughs> thank so you so happy. much and, Thank and, you. and congratulations with all its success. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.